come with us. into the wild wood. And find the magic within. Welcome fellow travelers into the wildwood pagan podcast with your hosts, Lee Johnson, that's me, Beto, and Rev Kai. Welcome, welcome everybody. All right, uh, today we are doing a Follow the White Rabbit show. Uh, if, you, if, this, if this is your first time watching one of these, uh, it's a fun little thing that we do. Uh, we pick a random topic out of cards that uh, Kai has there, and we talk about it. So we don't know what it's going to be, and not scripted or anything like that. And, or where it's going to go. Or where <laughs> it's going to go, yes. Down the, white, down the, down the rabbit holes. Down the rabbit hole somewhere. Alrighty, so uh no. That is one we've already done. We've done what? Three of these and I picked a card we'd already done? Wow. Hundreds. Yep. Let's get just one card. Archetypes. Right. And that's all that's on the card. No okay. additional points. Archetypes. Well, this is actually an interesting one though. Archetypes are, are really interesting because we have a different theisms. And in some regards, uh, some people may consider the gods themselves to be archetypes purely. Uh, I'm not sure if, is there a theism that, that fits in there? No, uh. not really, because the theism is really related to a god or many gods as bodies or entities. Yeah, as... I think so. I have a whole worksheet that goes through all of the the theisms and what they mean and how they relate to each other. Mm. And I might find it in the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll skip on that one then. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try some search terms here. Okay. I mean, in the in the topic of archetypes, we could also bring in thought forms. Um, slightly different because archetypes are more psychologically based. I'd say they have well, related more to yeah. the psyche, and you know, each god and goddess or deity or whatever entity or spirit is a part of you. It's not separate from you. I could talk and talk about this from different perspectives. Mm. An archetype is um, a pattern. Uh, the the prototype, the the mold. Um, go down uh, Rupert Sheldrake's version. It's it's a morphic resonance mm. that we can recognize uh, as these are similar. So. There is an archetype of trees. There is an archetype of herbs. There is an archetype of shrubs. Usually when we think archetype in uh, magic, people are talking about gods. Mm. But the, the application of the concept 
of archetype is is pretty much morphic resonance, I think, in that there are universally understood symbols and patterns of things that we can use as a way to divide stuff up. Mm-hmm. And yep. so this is where we get, you know, god of love, goddess of war, those sorts of things. Those are archetypes. Mm-hmm. See how that, because I'm thinking in two directions. One is, is that which, um, um, what's coming to mind is uh, the Horn God, I think the book was called by Jason Mankey. Something mm-hmm. he mentions in there is, um, you know, there's, you've got Pan and you've got Kerninos, which are two very different gods, but they, it is, well, it's thought that they come from the same root um, and separated at some point so that would be that morphic resident re, residence resonance <laughs> um yeah you gonna say i mm, i don't know if, if that would be morphic resonance because if they diverge enough that they're no longer the same archetype that they're no longer the same pattern then they just share a similar root. It doesn't mean that they are the same archetype. In fact, that's pretty good proof that they aren't the same archetype. Mm. Although, you know, Pan and Koninos, I would actually say are. Um, I think yeah. something he actually mentions is that Pan, uh, because Pan went in, in the direction of the Greek, um, became a bit more or a bit less um, foresty more kind of i think you use the term regal actually whereas Koninos stayed in the forests in the land in that rural kind of uh, setting which is what made made them so different but they are very similar because they are both shepherds they are both uh, protectors of animals protectors of forests things like that yeah yeah I'd say they're probably the same archetype then. But I just, I caution against the, you know, pointing to the same root as as grouping them into the same archetype because I don't think that necessarily holds true. Mm. Yeah, it is not very all difficult. The time. Sometimes, but, you know, not always. Mm. See, the, the other direction I was going with this is that if we look at somebody like Crowley, and um, the Ars Goetia, um, he mentions in there that the 72 spirits of the Goetia are archetypes and refers to them as being um, parts of the brain. Mm, um, which, that was a popular thing. Yeah, which on the one hand could relate to parts of our own psyche, on the other hand, it could be that morphic resonance, whereas a one of the spirits represents, as you said, the god of love or the god of uh, agriculture or whatever it may be. Um, so the spirits represent a particular uh, aspect, office. I'm not sure what to say there. Um, archetype. Archetype, yeah. <laughs> is the word that belongs there. Yeah, I'm trying, trying, to, trying to use a different word to try and explain. I know, what, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, that's the way I've always uh, thought of 
the Galatia. I mean, Galatia means um, it has a definition of a certain kind of spirit. Mm. You know, it is a, a categorization unto itself. And so then we get these 72, 78 archetypes uh, that show up under that as an all-encompassing categorization. Mm. It's not specific spirits. It's not specific names. It's not specific things. It's many, many spirits can fall into this category, into this pattern, into this resonance. And you can get to them by engaging in these behaviors that bring you into that resonance, that bring you into the frequency of those patterns. Mm. Yeah. Okay. This is becoming a difficult topic, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, as you mentioned, it's it's a bit cautionary taking two different deities or many different deities from different pantheons and saying they are the same. So when we look at the root of what the archetype is, um, how can we get to the point where we can consider two deities to be of the same archetype? Well, the same is very different than the same archetype. Mm. All trees are not the same. Mm. Right? But all trees match the tree archetype. Otherwise, we wouldn't call them trees. Right? Mm. Within that, we can divide further into what we call species, but maple trees and birch trees and ash trees and linden trees and so on and so forth. And again, all linden trees are not the same, but they're all linden trees. So they all match the linden tree archetype. Mm. Now, they, when we get down to um, linden trees growing in the north versus linden trees growing in the south, that archetype might be further modified. But I think at that point, they're not an archetype anymore because part of the understanding of archetype is a universal symbol. And that universalizing immediately means that unique characteristics are lost. That's part of the, that's the deal, the price of admission, you know. Um, we're trying to group things together through the concept of archetypes, through understanding these things are alike. These things share a similarity. These things communicate in a symbolic way that is very similar. But of course, when you pick up anything and look at it, it's going to be its own unique thing. It's going to be its own unique uh, presentation of that archetype. With subtleties and uh, differences and characteristics that, while still fitting under the archetype umbrella it belongs to, will differentiate it from the others within the same umbrella. Mm. And that doesn't, that does mean, in one way, they are the same but it doesn't mean they are the same. And we can use people. Mothers are an archetype. Fathers are an archetype. Children are an archetype. Are all children the same? No, mm -hmm. not even close. 
right? But because of our experience and universalizing of uh, or relating to the universal symbol of the archetype of children, we run into the problem quite frequently where people will give advice based on their personal experience of a child and try to connect it through that universal archetype to apply to another child. And it doesn't work mm -hmm. because the archetype doesn't go backwards. <laughs> you can't go up the chain and back down and say, these are the same. Mm -hmm. So you can't do that with gods either. You can't say Pan and Kernanos and Hearn are the same, but you can say they're all horned god archetypes. They all fit into this category. Mm. And I think if we remember that um, these are categories, these are ways of thinking about things, these are not useful descriptions when applied to specificity. Because if we just go for, oh, you need to find a, a you know, God of love, <laughs> you know, that's that's not specificity, but it is pointing to that um, union within the morphic resonance. And I think one thing we like to do is is one to one correlations. This comes from a a black and white worldview, a dualism worldview. It's A or it's B. Mm. If we move into an animistic worldview, it can be A and B and C and D and E and F. It doesn't there's no yes or no. There's no right or wrong. There's no it only fits in this one box. Because it depends on the lens you're looking through. It depends on the context you're understanding it in. Do you have five trees in front of you that need to be divided into five different categories so you need to understand the difference between them? Or do you have five trees and ten herbs in front of you and the archetypal difference between their resonance is much more important than the understanding that these trees are different from one another and these herbs are different from one another? Mm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, there's actually something I heard or read a while back, and I, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, they used a term, something related to mold. So, you know, not mold as in the icky stuff. Um, a mold a, to create a form. A form. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't remember the term now, though. It made a lot of sense. Um one question that's coming to mind, is this possibly where the Wiccans got the idea of all gods are one god and what all gods are one goddess? Referring back to an archetype. Uh, maybe, I'm going to say maybe, because I think I've done some research in that area, but it's in the hazy distant decades past. <laughs> um, I mean, that specific, all gods are one god, all goddesses are one goddess, and there is one initiator, that's from Dion Fortune. Mm -hmm. And I know she was interested in theosophy, and uh, there was a, the Theosophical Society at that point was a great influence, especially on the formation of the many secret societies uh, that were popping up, and why Dion Fortune became Dion Fortune, and, and took on uh, that name. So, I... Yeah, I'd say that there's probably a, a link there with my, my very cautious, I'm not supporting my thesis with any cited sources because I don't remember them. Mm. Um, but the development of the idea of archetypes comes out of studying literature and painting and mythology, studying symbolic communication of the human race to itself. 
and this was also a big thing and a movement at the same time as that was emerging. So surely they had influence on one another in similar academic circles. Mm. Yeah. I got the feeling we've covered the topic now. Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can pick it up. Yeah, might as well. Not much to talk about. Don't put that one back in the pile. Okay. <laughs> got a bonus today. Two for one. I mean, so are archetypes useful in magic? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Because understanding universal symbolism is like a big thing. If you want to interpret dreams, you need to understand archetypes. You need to understand those universal symbols and how they communicate. Now, it is the nuance on top of that base archetype that really ends up elucidating the meaning, but that that big symbol is often the doorway in for many things. Mm. And like the tarot, the reason we have so many so many variations on the tarot, thousands and thousands and thousands of variations, is because the tarot itself is archetypal. So you can produce thousands of variations. It's still tarot. It still fits the archetypal resonance. It still, you know, speaks to those universal symbols. But you can tell the story in so many different ways. So I think understanding the the purpose and the placement of the use of archetypes is important in that it is a useful categorization tool just like the kabbalah is a useful categorization tool elements are a useful categorization tool all of these different uh metrics we have for thinking about things to help us understand them but we have to understand it's a metric it's not the thing Mm. You know, you should not mistake the thing itself for its archetype. Mm. And I suppose on a, on a psychological standpoint, if we were to consider uh, parts of the psyche, uh, we can categorize those into archetypes themselves. Can we bring emotion into this? Um, archetypes of love, hatred, anger. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because there is a something within chaos magic which uh, isn't really very widespread, I don't think, um, of actually creating servitors from parts of the psyche. Um, so mm-hmm. taking those archetypes, creating servitors from them, and then interacting with them in specific ways in order to heal, to um, access a particular emotion or something that you need at the time, whether it be courage or anything like that, um, and creating your own pantheon out of those, out of your, the parts of your psyche. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that would definitely... I'm surprised, mm. surprised to, to hear that it's not widespread because it's like basic conversation therapy. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe it's the language around it to call it a servitor or a thought form. Um, that you know is is from chaos magic, but like that's that's just a thing you do in therapy. Mm. It's pretty pretty basic, pretty universal. Um, 
and it's one of those things that you'll find in most uh, magic training programs too. You know, uh, you got you have to know yourself, mm -hmm. and you have to deal with um, the many archetypes that we all encompass. We couldn't relate to them if we didn't have them. They wouldn't be symbols of anything if we didn't have a way to relate to them. So we can recognize, you know, um, the archetypal villain and have a relationship, even though we don't identify as wholly a villain. And in fact, when we see those in literature and mythology, storytelling, all of this stuff, the characteristics that define the archetype are heightened. They're emphasized. They're over-exaggerated. And all of the other complexity that makes life, humans, whatever, is not there because it's not part of the archetypal story. That's why characters are characters, not people. Mm. That's why a characterization is the exaggeration of certain characteristics, you know, these certain things that, that point out this universal archetype. It is not complexity. It is not depth. That's not what this is about. It's about seeing these, these universal symbols, uh, these morphic resonances, these patterns play out in ways so that we can, we can pull them out of ourselves, see them in their, their purity, mm. in their isolation which never actually happens. <laughs> it's a, a theoretical symbol. Symbols are not like that. You know, they don't, they don't actually express in that way. They're ideas we can conceptualize in this pure form. But of course, when they're actually expressed through us, through gods, through spirits, they're going to be a little more mixed up with other things because nobody's purely anything. Mm -hmm. No God is purely this one archetype. There's always subtleties. There's differentiations that break it down into pieces. Mm. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen it crop up that often. Um, to the degree where you're actually creating your own pantheon and interacting exclusively with those gods and goddesses, which are the thought forms of servitors, which you've created from parts of your own psyche. Um, but it's always been an interesting concept for me. I want to say it's in Franz Barden. I'm pretty sure it's in um, oh uh, Ed Fitch's training program that came through the Pagan Way. It's fairly late in the process, um, but I mean I've encountered it in many magical training programs. Mm. I love um, reads Those interactions, of course, all of those references I'm citing are old as far as many people are concerned pre you know 1950s well the pagan way is like 1960s 70s mm. but based on much older material so that might be part of it too and and the language around it yeah you know they're not using words like thought forms yeah and uh, pantheons and gods and goddesses that's not part of that language but it's the same process mm. And to my understanding, it actually fits into Spare's Alphabet of Desire. So. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. That's right in there, too. Mm. In, in creating the Alphabet of Desire to engage with the, the patterns that are within you in a way that they 
You, you have to separate them, isolate them, purify them so that they can speak, so that you can understand. Because mm. if you leave them all jumbled up, you're never going to hear the individual tones. Yeah. Only the harmony that is you. Mm. And you can't, you can't pick them apart. Mm. Interesting topic. All right. Should we pick another one then? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Oh, this one is good. Um, kind of goes with this. The concept of deity and archetypes is on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Gods and goddesses, the one, archetypes. Where is deity? Why is deity? And why interact with them? Mm-hmm. Actually, somebody was asking me if I'm hard polytheist or soft polytheist, and I said I don't know. Still working <laughs> that out. <laughs> I don't really, I don't like fitting myself into those little boxes either, because I could also bring in pantheism here. So, you know, mm-hmm. and it keeps shifting from one to the other. Do we have to be one? No, I don't think so. Everybody likes their little boxes. I did find my uh, worldview class worksheet uh, that talks about uh, all of these different uh, theisms, as it's usually described. Mm-hmm. Conceptions of divinity. There are a lot of so, theisms. Yep, there are a lot of theisms. I have. 26 listed in this worksheet. Mm. So we've got agnosticism, which means that the divine is unknowable. Apatheism, that's apathy towards the existence of deity. Who cares? I don't. Mm. Atheism, no belief in deity or active rejection of belief in deity. I think a lot of people confuse atheism with apatheism. Then we have autotheism, whether deity is external or not, it is inherently in oneself, and godhood is achievable. Deism, one god, created the world, does not alter the original plan for creation. Dualism, two fundamental concepts exist, and they always oppose each other. Uh, Distheism, deity is not wholly good, and is possibly evil. Eutheism, Deity is wholly benevolent. That is the defining characteristic of deity. Henotheism may be more than one deity, but only one is worshipped. Others may worship other gods as they choose without loss of validity. Ietism, I E T S I S M, I think. Yeah, unspecified. We'll leave that to it for everybody else to pronounce. An unspecified belief in a transcendent reality. You notice there's no the in there because there's no God involved. Mm. Ignosticism with an I, not an A. The question of the existence of God is meaningless because God is ill-defined. Cothenoism. Nope. Cothenotheism. Maybe more than one deity, but only one deity is worshipped at a time. Uh, This is contrasted with henotheism. Uh, Cothenotheism does not believe that other people can worship other deities and still be valid. Mm. There's one deity, you got to get the right one. Misotheism, deity is wholly malicious. Monism, 
everything is derived from the one. Monolatrism may be more than one deity, but only one is worthy of worship, which is, again, different than henotheism and cathenotheism. Uh, monotheism, only one deity exists. No belief in any other kinds. Omnism, recognition and respect of all religions and conceptions of God. Were you going to say something? Yeah, they're all very similar, but what's actually interesting is monotheism. Um, there is only one God with it, and there are no other gods. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the Bible itself, I mean, the obviously ex- obvious example here is Christianity. The Bible itself says oh, that there are other gods. Eh? Right. They're not monotheistic. I know. Which is uh, really interesting. Pandeism. God preceded the universe and created it, but is now equivalent to it. Panentheism. Uh, the divine interpenetrates every part of the universe and extends beyond time and space. Pantheism. The physical universe is equivalent to God. There is no division between creator and creation. Polydeism. Multiple gods exist, but do not intervene in the universe. Hard polytheism, which is not the same as polydeism. Multiple gods, distinct and separate beings. Soft polytheism. There are multiple gods, but they are subsumed into a greater whole. This is the many from the one. Theism is just a belief in one or more deities. And transtheism. It is beyond theism and atheism, something out there that's more. Those are... Well, those are the academic um, categorizations. <laughs> Apparently, I can't say the word academic. I have some feelings about that. <laughs> yes, thank you for your comments, sweetheart. <laughs> I'm leaving that in, by the way. <laughs> Academia? Got some opinions on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but this, those are the, the categorizations of studying belief. And when we, we go to talk about what, how does this religion view the world? Um, how does this culture view the world? And you'll notice that animism is not in there. Mm. Because it doesn't fit this category of, of how do we interact with gods. These are all specifically about gods and divinity mm. and animism is a worldview but it doesn't address gods mm. that's you can be a polytheist animist you can be an atheist animist you can be a panentheist animist because animism is a different category yeah. and i see that get mixed up quite frequently that um you know what gods do you believe in how do you think about the gods and somebody will say well i'm an animist well that's cool but what do you think about the gods? Mm. <laughs> you know. But that's where isms become a bit different to theisms. It's, mm. it's the the part that uh, relates to is the, the god, the deity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a few in here that aren't quite about God, but yeah. Mm. I, I just find it it becomes really really difficult. I mean, for anybody to say they are exclusively this. Um, with others which are so similar, so similar, that you can barely tell them apart. Uh, you know, 
we're going to shift and change. From day to day, I find I shift and change. So very difficult to actually put yourself into a specific category. And as we said, even monotheism. Christians aren't monotheistic. No, I mean, they are identified with monotheism, but they are not. The Christian beliefs, the Protestant, I mean, Catholicism is not monotheistic. There's no question. Mm-hmm. There's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's three. Ding. Not a monotheist. Um, and, and like you say, you know, the thing we point to all the time in the Bible, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Mm-hmm. Other gods. Just an acknowledgement <laughs> of the gods, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, those stories aren't Christian in origin. They're retellings of much earlier mythologies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the... I don't think everyone is that flexible. I find a lot of people have the worldview that they were taught or brought up with, and that's their worldview. They don't tend to question it. And if they do, it almost always is um, in the hypocrisy of a claiming to be monotheist but not actually monotheist belief that turns to agnosticism or atheism and i find atheism the most common reaction there an active rejection Mm. you know agnosticism just says i don't know and we can't know Mm. and apathyism says i don't care but atheism says that's wrong atheism is is a rejection of belief it is only in light of opposition Mm. more active Mm-hmm. What was the topic again? The conception of deity. Conception of deity. So where did like how do you come from? Oh, no. Oh, oh. What? How do you think about it? How do you think about it? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That weird confusion of of conception as creation with conception as thought is. Um, I think a mistake of the English language. Mm. I mean, you know, we can explore the wonderful etymology that leads us to thinking is creating, uh, which, I mean, thinking is the creation of your worldview. Mm. How you think about things, how you understand them is the creation point of your, your foundational belief and therefore that's where everything else has to get tested against that. But, um, I don't know, not, not the creation of deity, not where did it come from, mm-hmm. but how do you think about it? You know, is it, um, trans transcendent? Is it imminent? Um, is it revealed through revelation? Are divinities primarily creator gods? Is that what defines them as gods? Uh, are they actively participating in creation, or is creation a stable event that happened sometime in a past? Mm. Can creation be separated from the divinity of creation, or are they wholly identified as the same thing? No. I mean, I've I've been playing with the idea for years and years and years, and as I said, it keeps changing. Um, but I actually we can take take this to pieces if you want to. Um, I do believe in many, many gods and goddesses and spirits and entities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they all fall under one 
And I don't want to call it deity. It's a force. It's a power. Um, but it is the creator. But I don't feel it has intelligence. It's, uh... it's almost like it's almost like um, fate. Fate is just something that happens. It, it's been set in motion, and it's going to happen regardless. Um, and therefore, it doesn't have that same intelligence because it it's not thinking; it's just doing. And see, as a traditional witch, I would say one of the things that trad witchcraft does is personifies that fate. Yeah, I know. I mean that that. But- that can be personified in order to interact with it, uh, understand it. But I don't think it has a personality. But but what you just said, that's the definition of soft polytheism. Mm. There's There's many gods. They are distinct from one another, but they are all... They are all one thing. They are all from one thing. They are all under one thing. They are all subject to one thing. Mm. Subsumation. Mm. But that's that's soft polytheism. I always thought it was pantheism. Pantheism is that the physical universe is equivalent to God. There is no division between between the creator and the creation. And I mean all of these categories, they're like Venn diagrams. Some of them exclude and preclude others, but many of them can overlap. Mm. So you can have both. You can be a pantheist, soft polytheist, mm. monist, if you want, <laughs> that everything is derived from the one. That's where it came from. Because soft polytheism says everything is subject or subsumed, meaning that it can be included in the concept of the greater thing. The greater whole, the big picture. Because I've seen uh, Hinduism explained as being pantheism, which huh? to get my head wrapped around all of this, it's just <sighs> it's a it's a big field of study, mm-hmm. and part of the problem is we have these academic terms that are fairly narrowly defined. You know, this is what this means, and and nothing else. However, we take these academic terms, they've been exported into communities where people will pick one and identify with it, and then suddenly, what was this narrow term has all this other stuff tacked onto it because this is what I believe, I'm a pantheist, so all this other stuff I believe is also part of pantheism. And don't do that, you know, (laughs) because pantheism is just the physical universe is equivalent to divinity. Mm. You know, um, there's no separation between the creator and the creation. They are the same thing. That's pantheism. Mm. Now, is that, is there one God? That's not part of pantheism. Are there many gods? That's not part of pantheism. Are they transcendent? Uh, Not in pantheism. Are they imminent? Has to be, because they have to be indwelling within the physical form. Mm. You know, is God uh, evil? Maybe evil? Holy good? That's not part of pantheism. That's a different. That's a different category. So, I know it's confusing because there's a whole bunch of terms, and and it's a 
a confusing overlapping Venn diagram. In fact, that's one of the things I have my students do in, in a worldview workshop class that this, all of this workshop stuff comes from, is make the Venn diagram <laughs> of all of these terms and figure out where they reject one another, where they can overlap, what's different, what's the same, what goes um, together. So you could be, you know, a pantheist believing that the physical universe is equivalent to divinity and that creation is not separate from the creator, but also be um, a misotheist believing that divinity is wholly malicious and evil. That sounds very much like uh, Gnosticism. Yeah, Gnosticism falls within that. Yeah. Um, I think the other difficulty comes with different uh, people's different um, understandings and explanations. Um, mm. I mean, I'm going to Wikipedia and everybody goes, oh, not Wikipedia. Um, yeah. I'm just Wikipedia is a very good poll of what everybody thinks, though. So. Yeah. Not necessarily facts, but what does everybody think mm. it is? <laughs> uh, I remember where I saw it here. It says the physical, this is regarding pantheism. Physical universe is thus understood as an imminent creator deity, still expanding and creating, which has existed uh, since the beginning of time. Uh, trying to think where I saw it now. This is all encompassing manifested god and goddess. The worship of all gods of every religion is another definition, but it is more precisely termed omnism. Pantheism belief. Uh -huh does not recognize a distinct personal god, anthropomorphic or otherwise, but instead characterizes a broad range of doctrines differing in forms of relationships between reality and divinity. So Sorry, I'm, I, what that means is that pantheism doesn't define if it's one god or many gods. That's not part of the definition. That's not part of the scope no, yeah. of, of pantheism. So you could you could believe in many gods and be a pantheist, or you could believe in one right. god and be a pantheist. Yep. Mm. Either way. Yeah. Right. Um, panentheism is pantheism plus the divine interpenetrates every part of the universe, mm. which seems like it would be the same thing as pantheism. There's no division between the creator and the creation, but it's it adds that um, there is imminence and transcendence simultaneously, which is one of the characteristic beliefs of Wicca. Panentheism is, is very much a tenet of the Wiccan worldview, that um, divinity is omnipresent within all of creation. Mm -hmm. Oh, that definition you have of duotheism to be interesting. There are, what was it, two forces that are opposed? Dualism. Two fundamental concepts exist, and they always oppose each other. Okay. Duotheism that... oh, is no. all gods are one god, and all goddesses are one goddess. There's two forces. Oh, okay. So there's two different things there. But duotheism does not include dualism. Those two forces 
while they, everything can be reduced to two forces, they are not opposed. Yeah. Dualism says they're opposed. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought you said duo, duo, yeah, that other one. I know. I, did, I said a whole bunch of things, and I have the cheat sheet in front of me, so. <laughs> you don't. You're just hearing them and trying. <laughs> it's not fair. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think we've covered that one as well now. <laughs> that one probably actually came out of a discussion group after I taught this workshop looking at the <laughs> <laughs> it's structured. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, here's a huge topic. The history of the craft. Oh, God. <laughs> just we cover just that real briefly. 15 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, I don't. We're not going to do that one today because no. it's too big and my brain not do the memory recall. <laughs> 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 okay, how about this one? Discretion. Using discretion in the craft. Discretion. Um, trying to come up with a with a de with the definition, and I can't. That's what Google's for. Yes. I used to laugh at all of these papers that always started with the def the Oxford English Dictionary defines blah 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 as, and I'm like, where the hell are you going to start anymore? <laughs> you have to get on the same page. All right. The Oxford English Dictionary defines discretion as the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense or revealing private information. Or the freedom to decide what should be done in a particular situation. Judgment, preference, disposition, volition. So... If we take that first one, the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offence or revealing private information. Um, I think that's important anywhere you go, not just in the craft. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, in the craft, I think uh, we can readily see the uh, reason to avoid revealing private information. Mm. We all know about that kind of thing. Um, not just from the protect people so they don't get hanged and burned and drowned, but also um, if you go talking about your magic, that's the end of your magic. Mm. You'll screw it up and pull it right back down with doubts from everyone. Mm. You know, both of those fall under uh, avoiding revealing private information. It's mm. the keep silent part. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I mean, all of the especially the older orders, uh, Golden Dawn, OTO and such, who, I think we've spoken about this before, um, taking on craft names. So it was in the craft name episode that we did, um, whereby they, they, they don't actually reveal their true, their own, not their true name, but their um, public name uh, right. to anybody within the order because, you know, if ever that came out, it could cause them a lot of problems, personally. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, th I still think that applies today. There are a lot of people who cannot reveal their beliefs um, because their family, friends, work, work especially, is a big problem. Um, people have been fired for their beliefs, um, although 
it is legal. It has been done. Um, so, yeah, discretion is very important everywhere. Yeah, and I think um, with the second definition included, deciding what should be done in a particular situation, discretion is often used to also mean good judgment. Mm -hmm. Making the right choice um, in a situation, choosing the right course of action. Mm -hmm. And that goes all goes into spell work very nicely. And uh, the uh, four powers of the Sphinx, uh, which is ladder, uh, magician's maxim, whatever we want to call it. The witch's pyramid, yeah. all of these terms, yeah. Yeah. Um, to know to will to dare to keep silent, and to think of that one for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> um, because we've got to know the right course of action. We've got to know what we want to do first and then decide on the right course of action. Um, mm -hmm. And then to keep silent is to have discretion not to speak about what you've just done until it's done. Right, until it's the right time. Like you said, there's a lot of um, not only doing the correct action, but doing the correct action at the correct time. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people talk about what they're doing before they've actually done it. And that causes problems because then you've got other people who uh, say you cannot do it, you should not do it. Um, you're an idiot, you're crazy, all of these things, which then just start eating away at the actual spellbook itself. Yeah. Well, I also see that just in the um, newness to the craft, discovering yeah. the path. Um, everybody's super excited when they finally find the place where they feel at home and it feels right. But the discretion is in talking to the right people about it. Mm. Knowing who you can reveal that private information to and who it will cause offense to, mm. you know, that's, that's causing offense. We think now of the term offended, but causing offense just means somebody's going to go, ew, <laughs> you know, that's bad. I don't like that. Something, a negative response. Mm. So I see plenty of people that are very, very excited that they have found the craft, that they can read tarot, that, you know, they've discovered magic, whatever it is. They finally found something that resonates with them. They feel like they're home. And then they go tell their parents or their spouse or their siblings or something like that. And they get immediate pushback and they feel utterly defeated. Mm. You know, and that's a lack of discretion. They told the wrong people at the wrong time, mm. which sucks. I mean, I think everybody should be able to celebrate being holy themselves with their loved ones. Mm. But you can look at the world and see that that's not a thing for the vast majority of people. So it, it's difficult. And discretion is developed like many, many other skills through making a lot of mistakes. You don't learn what the the good judgment is until you've made the bad judgment and learned that it was a bad judgment. Because mm -hmm. none of us a priori take action that we think is wrong. 
right? That's not just like um, when I, you know, tell people things or, or correct them on things, like my pronouns and stuff like that. They're always like, oh, I didn't know. I would never have done that if I'd known. I know. I don't think you're a bad person. <laughs> I think you're a good person that is caring and making the choices, the best choices you can based on the information you have. So I'm just giving you more information yeah. so you can make a better choice. But there is this, this jump to, but I'm a good person when we make a bad judgment call. You know, and, and this is where we get, don't judge me. Well, yes, judge you. Everyone judges everyone all the time. Mm. Otherwise, you're not, you're not thinking, you're not participating. You just don't want to be judged on the wrong thing. Yeah. You, you don't want to be judged as a bad person because you made a bad judgment call. And that I think we need to actively separate. And like I said, I have to tell people all the time, I don't think you're a bad person. If I thought you were a bad person, I would not be standing here providing you more information. Mm. I would be fuck out of your life and you wouldn't know me. That's what I do with bad people. I don't continue to support them, provide them information, take the time to have emotional conversations. No way. <laughs> that is not worth it. You know, so I always try to tell people if somebody's taking the time to point out your mistake, to point out your bad judgment, it's because they think you're a good person and you made a mistake. And as a good person, you probably want to learn from that mistake. Yeah. That's that base assumption. But that's not the way it is often approached for most people because we have our ego and our sense of identity tied up in our actions also, and our choices. It also comes back to the whole societal thing of you cannot be wrong. Uh -huh. You know, if you're wrong, you're stupid, you're bad, you're not. So, you know, you point some point. Point out to somebody that what they said or what they thought was wrong, and instantly it's that reaction of "I'm I'm stupid," and people don't want to be stupid, right? So they're going to but, get defensive. But you don't learn anything if you're never wrong. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't gain wisdom without the opportunity to be corrected. Mm -hmm. You know, you can only absorb so much information. That's not wisdom. That's intelligence, mm. you know, and the application of intelligence is wisdom. You're not going to get it right the first time. No one does. And if you do, it doesn't help mm. because you didn't learn anything. You guessed you got it right. And now you think that's how it works. So the next time you guess and you don't get it right, it's worse. Mm. Because you now have to question previous decisions that you weren't corrected on. So this, you know, building discretion, building judgment, building the skill of being able to discern this is the correct choice at this time, these are the people to trust at this time, so on and so forth, that takes time. Yeah. And it takes a lot of mistakes. And it takes a supportive community. It takes people that will correct you. Mm. If you're friends with a bunch of people that never tell you you're wrong, you're not friends with people. Mm. 
but will correct you and also embrace you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Which is what people fear. I think, I think yeah. that's the whole thing, is that people fear being wrong because as soon as they are wrong, they are rejected, which isn't the case. But that, is the, that is the case for strangers, mm. but not friends and family, or at least it shouldn't be for friends and family. Mm. Um, but if my only interaction with you is you spewing hateful racist, sexist crap, then that's what I'm going to judge you on and decide I don't want to interact with you. Rejection. I've rejected you from care, knowledge, anything that I will ever contribute to you. Mm. But if I've known you for 20 years and you say some sexist bullshit or, you know, something racist, I can be like, hey, 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 I know you're a good person, but this is what this sounds like to me and here's why. Let's talk about it. Mm. That's correction. But not rejection. Yeah. Actually, coming back to the whole um, thing of um, newcomers who get very excited and go and tell everybody, um, I think what comes after that, and I remember this distinctly, is the problem of you have something which is fantastic and you want everybody else oh, yes. to do it as well. And then you take it to somebody else and they reject it and you're like, no, 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 no. Why? This is, this is it. This is the truth. This is the way. And people after people, a person after person just rejects it and you kind of like, don't know what to do with yourself. I remember that very well. Uh, well, that's, that. there is one right way yeah. for everyone based belief. Mm. And that's one of the things you have to, to deprogram, to let go of. Yeah. That the one right way is not for everyone and it's not for you all the time. Mm. It's going to change. It's going to morph. It's going to respond to your growing of wisdom. Mm. Well, I've done a lot of people who have had that problem. Um, yeah. Kind of saying, I, I keep telling people about my belief because it's so fantastic and they don't want to listen to me. And I'm like, not everybody's going to listen. Maybe they're not ready yet. Maybe it's just not their way. Um, you've, yeah. got to, you've got to accept that. Which is very different. And I mean, part of that, I think, is we're seeking validation, especially when something is new. Mm. Feels really good. This makes great sense to me. Let me go check in with those people whose opinions I value. Right? It's mm. one of the things we do. And we think since there is one right way, that they must have the same adoptions, practices, thoughts that we do. Because I've had a lot of people, new witches and, and such like, come to me and be like, I found this thing. Do you do this? What does that matter, hun? Mm. <laughs> you know? Whether I do it or not has no bearing on whether it's the right thing for you. Mm. And if it feels good and it, and it makes you happy and it's not clearly a dangerous practice, because every once in a while, you know, we find something that feels great that's really not a good idea, like shooting up heroin or something like that. Mm. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's long-term a great idea. But, you know, we, we seek validation through authority quite frequently because in this one right way worldview, the authority is the one who says what the one right, right, one right way is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun phrase. <laughs> so... 
that appeal to authority for validation is part of that too. And if the authority immediately goes, no, that's wrong. Not only is our experience and our joy cut short, but suddenly our sense of finding the right way, our mm -hmm. sense of being able to make that judgment call is invalidated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that cuts pretty core because if we can't find what's right for us, well, who the hell can, mm. you know, that authority figure, that's how that works. You take away your own personal choice, your own personal sovereignty and authority to choose what is right, to intuit what is right. And then you only have left the validity that is distributed from the authority figure. Mm. And it is very hard to break that cycle in the craft that because we have hierarchy we have authority figures we have elders that we look up to but um to expect them to validate our ability to find what is right for ourselves i think is a mistake yeah because that that's not what wisdom in the craft is mm. Yeah, I remember it being very difficult to get past that. Uh, it took me a long time. But uh, yeah. it's very important to get past it, because otherwise all you're doing is just trying to bring a belief to a particular group of people, because you find it fantastic. But what it does, it actually holds you back, because you then cannot progress from that, because you have to, keep, you have to stay focused and centered on that one particular thing. So you can't grow because you keep right. coming back to it and focusing on it to try and bring it to other people. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's definitely something we need to release and just not worry about. So. Well, the rules for a worldview that has one right ways and authorities that validate this and so on and so forth don't apply in another worldview. Mm. You know, you can't. You can't transfer over, which is why I say you can't be a witch with a Christian Christian worldview. They don't work. They're incompatible. They're mutually exclusive. Mm. It doesn't work that way. You have to do one worldview or the other at that point. Mm. And I always think the worldview is is what defines what you are. When we say, I'm a witch, I'm a Christian, I'm a Buddhist, I'm a whatever we stick in there, panentheist, <laughs> right? It is that we're talking about what our worldview is at that point. We're talking about what are a whole bunch of these core foundational pieces of how we understand everything, how the world works, how interpersonal relationships work, how my identity is built, what makes me valid, what makes me not valid, all of that stuff. Mm. And so... A lot of people really want to blend some things that don't, no. you know? Um, I mean, you can shake up salad dressing as much as you want, but if you let it sit, it separates back out into oil and water, mm. right? Um, unless you add an emulsifier, something that changes the fundamental qualities so that they can blend, so that they can bind. Mm. And then you can wonder that is mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was actually John Beckett that was saying that um, this falls under discretion I suppose 
Um, you know, when he meets a group of people, uh, they ask him what he is, what his beliefs are. He says he's pagan. Right. So it's mm-hmm. that, that broader perspective. But then when he's in a group of people who are pagan um, and are, you know, within that worldview, then he is Druid. Right. And then when he's in a group of people who are Druid, then he brings out the I am uh, dedicated to X, Y, Z, Daniel, etc., etc., etc. Because then it defines him further within that group who actually understands it. Right. But that yeah, you can't, can't start at that. Yeah. You can't start at that little tiny circle mm. when you're talking to the big, huge circle. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you know, people will ask me, you know, well, what are you? And I usually say heathen or pagan, depending upon context, because those are big, huge, broad things. Mm. You know, when it gets down to it and I'm sitting around talking with other heathens, it becomes very clear. You know, here's my little line of belief. <laughs> of, you know, I believe these things, not these things, these things, not these things. Mm. But I wouldn't have that conversation with somebody who doesn't already understand those foundational worldview pieces of what it means to be heathen or what it means to be pagan. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Can you think of anything else we can talk about in discretion? Not at this point. I think discretion is, is super important. It's one of those skills you really want to build. And it's one of those skills you can only build by, you know, stubbing your toe kind of thing. Mm. Um, discretion doesn't happen through a path of no mistakes. Discretion only happens through a path of mistakes, bad judgment. Now, what's that phrase? Um, you make good choices because you made bad choices. Mm. You have to, yeah. 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 I think uh, one of the warnings that should come with witchcraft is protect your toes. <laughs> well, we do talk a lot about burnt fingers. Mm-hmm. Start adding stubbed toes to the list too, because I mean, I think it's that kind of pain mm-hmm. when you know you try to make a good decision, you try to do the best thing, and then you go, "Ow!" and it's it's blinding pain in the moment. You know, I, I've stubbed my toe on some things and seen stars, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all I can think about is I fucked up. I screwed up so bad and that hurt so much. I never want to do that again. Mm. You know, and, and that's how pain is. It's there to, to teach us. Don't do that. This causes pain. And it, you know, we can talk about physical pain as the analog to emotional pain. Cause it's very, very similar. Mm. The thing is in, social settings when it's an emotional question when you made the mistake with a person you need to be in a supportive enough community in a trusting environment in a stable relationship with that person that they can go i know you're not a bad person Mm. you made a bad judgment call Mm. and support you without that rejection that whole rejection because you know I, i i talk about all the time um, I reject the behavior, not the person. I can still love somebody and say, you can't, you can't do this around me. Yeah. You know, I won't participate in this. I, I'm not okay with this behavior, uh, which is 
what setting boundaries and all that stuff is about. But so many people uh, want to identify with their behaviors as if it's something that is an intrinsic part of them and unchangeable. How many times have I heard people go, well, that's just the way I am. Like, well, that's, that's your problem. <laughs> How you are is the definition of your problem. That's the thing you have the vast majority of control in your life over. In fact, I'd say that's probably the only thing you have control over in your life is how you are, mm. who you are. You don't have control over anybody else or what anybody else does or thinks. So to say, well, that's just the way I am, I think is... Um, and you don't have to be that. Well... It's about the only thing I would actually classify as an excuse instead of an explanation. Mm. It dodges the responsibility that we all have to take for ourselves in making the corrections to ourselves. You know, and we, we all get the choice in what we want to do with that information, um, what we want to do with that pain, what we want to do with the, the judgment from others. We can decide. A lot of people decide that it is rejection and they double down on whatever the bad judgment was and make it a part of their personality. Mm. They claim it. They build their identity uh, with it. And I think to be a witch, to be a pagan, to be a magic worker, that's the, the opposite path. Mm. You know, every time you run up against something that, that makes you go, Ugh. I don't like that about myself or, or, or it turns out this whole circle of people I trusted doesn't like that about me. You know, that's the option for examination. Well, did I make a big mistake? Because everybody is telling me it's a mistake, maybe. Or does everybody have a fundamental belief that is very different from my own? Mm. You know? And those, those mistakes, those stopping, stopping your toe moments actually get increasingly more difficult with online communities because um, if you make a mistake you don't have the support half the time you've just got right. 100 people or a thousand people however big the group is all attacking you at the same time because you're stupid and you made a mistake yeah um, well social media is not full of family mm. and that's something i think we've we've lost very much we have replaced our concept of family with the people that we interact with on social media. Mm. And that's, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Mm. Well, there, it, it yeah. is kind of mixed with that. Cause you, I've seen, I mean, I've, I've, I've been on, there are some groups, you know, somebody says something which is a bit ridiculous or whatever. Um, and all of a sudden they just get attacked by everybody. Um, other groups, um, you get some people attacking and some people saying, you know, give the person a chance. Right. And then those get people get attacked for being too soft. Mm -hmm. So, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, I like here's another underlying world belief that soft is bad, caring is bad, giving people another chance is bad. Mm. But uh, there's also a numbers game involved. As humans, we can't really make deep connections with more than about 30 people at a time. Mm. That's kind of our upper limit. Past that, it's Utengarth. It's 
people we know as acquaintances. We do not know them deeply. We do not know their inner lives. We do not know their motivations. You know, we don't know if they have kids. We don't know <laughs> what their relationship is like to their parents, anything. 30 people, that's about the max we can maintain. And so that 30 people, that's your, your Inlingarth, your family, the people you, you know deeply. And those are the people that you should be able to trust that when you make a mistake, they will support you and cor help you correct that mistake. But outside of that, you cannot trust people because you don't know them and they don't know you. Yeah. So they can't go. I know you're a good person. That's precluded. That's not an option at that level of connection. Mm -hmm. Straight up. So the rest of it can't follow because the original premise is gone. And quite frequently, we're already lacking our Inangarth community. We don't have it. We might have one friend, maybe a few others, maybe a small group. That's pretty rare these days. Mm -hmm. And humans, we need it. We absolutely need our little communities. Yeah, I think the, the minimum that we need for psychological health is 12 close friends, family, people that we can trust that, that know us. Mm. So between 12 and 30, that's what we need. And if we don't have it, we'll seek it anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. It's like food and water. Mm. And so we, we start trying to build those connections. And, and many of us, have poor social skills or um, there's lots and lots of people that have very poor boundaries uh, because we're seeking that social connection so as soon as anybody shows any kind of affection boom I've put you in my my little Inangarth group when really that's not the case there hasn't been that depth of relationship there hasn't been that getting to know each other and deciding yes our values align yes we are close enough in in morality in ethics that we can align and consider ourselves within the Inangarth similar enough that we can support one another in developing who we want to become. Mm. And technology if you... isolated us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Before COVID, um, it was becoming a thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think it started like in the 2000s. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of progressively isolated people, so they don't have that connection with 12 people. So then they'll go online and they'll start trying to find connections there and they'll just grab people really nilly. Uh, yeah. Well, because when you're starving, any morsel of food is amazing. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's moldy and poison. Mm. And that's really where we are in our social connections. Most of us are starving. Yeah. Though I don't, I don't think it, it cannot be done. Um, I mean, you can meet people online and you can create relationships, you can get to know them, but it is like Absolutely. grabbing and, as you said, grabbing and pulling, pulling in immediately, but just have to allow the relationships to actually develop more. Well, and, and grabbing and pulling in immediately doesn't work in meet space either. Mm. You know, you can't meet someone for two hours on one night and decide your best friends forever. Mm. You can, it takes time. I mean, people talk about why was it so easy to make friends in school, but as an adult, it's impossible. Because in school, you were spending eight hours a day with this person, whether you wanted to or not. 
that's what it takes to make friends. I think it's 400 hours spent with the person is about the point where we start to know them well enough to be friends. Mm. Maybe it's less than that. Something like that. It's a big number. It's not a night out. It's not um, even a weekend at a festival. I see so many people become festival friends because you go to the festival, you feel very accepted because you're surrounded by people that do have your worldview for a change, or at least seem to. You have these wonderful experiences of belonging. And you spent, even if we, you know, consider festival sleep four hours a night, you spent maybe 40, 50 hours with these people. And then you all go back to Mandania and, oh, turns out you don't keep in contact. Turns out when you do exchange messages or phone calls that they have some whack beliefs that you're not on board with. Mm. Or they express that you have some whack beliefs that they're not on board with. Mm. And then we're like, oh my God, but I thought we were friends. Oh my God, but I thought you were pagan. Oh my God, but I thought we were all witches. Yeah. It's like, that's, you're, you're jumping the fence too soon. You're trying to pull, you know, the outsiders into the inside ring way too fast. That's a gradual process, no matter what that communication method is. Mm. Mm. And, you know, just being around people, I mean, that's why people make friends with their coworkers. Same reason they made friends at school. You're spending time together day in and day out. Mm. You're actually getting to know people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I like discussion boards. I like... Uh, things like Facebook groups and Yahoo groups because they're wonderful ways to exchange information and see a plethora of ideas and perspectives. They are terrible ways to make friends mm. because not everybody's there all the time. Mm. The time together is disjointed. It's a reach out and sometimes a response, but it's not a consistent time together. Mm-hmm. It's dead that broken um whereas groups that have very active email lists or active chat groups where the conversation happens in mostly real time mm-hmm. or there's a and a continuity and expectation of conversation like you and i have talked for years and we don't get real time a lot just because of we're on opposite sides of the world and that's the way schedules go mm-hmm. but you know, even back in the days, if you hadn't emailed me back the next day, it would have broken that continuity of conversation. Yeah, you, know, you email me, I email you. Back and forth, back and forth. That's why pen pals work. Mm-hmm. But if it's not that because it's a big group of 200 people and you never know who's going to respond, you don't have that continuity with a single person and it's very difficult to form friendships that way. Mm-hmm. A sense of belonging you can develop, which is another good thing but also a problem double-edged knife because we often mistake the sense of belonging for friendship mm-hmm. and they're not the same yeah. i mean people can become friends from those groups uh, but they just start creating but it personal they go into right friends and- it breaks off into a personal conversation it breaks off into a personal mm-hmm. connection that then develops between two yeah. people yeah. but it doesn't happen just by being in the group. Yeah. Uh, 
I always think of um, groups like that as like going to the bar to meet people. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the library. That's why I, I prefer to meet people at the library, not the bar, because I prefer people that li- want library culture, not bar culture. <laughs> um, you know, you can assume that the people that are in this group that you're in all have a similar interest. Mm-hmm. So you have something to connect on. You have something to talk about. The problem comes when you assume that all the people in the group have all the similar interests mm. instead of just one. And I think this happens in pagan circles, in heathen circles, uh, repeatedly, because a lot of people assume, I found witchcraft, I found paganism, I found heathenry, and now I believe this, and I'm very excited about it, which is good, because it feels good. So everybody that uses this label also believes this. And that's the the misassumption. That's the bit that doesn't translate. Mm. But I have no idea how you figure that out without just running into the pain and stubbing your toe. Mm. Yeah. Lots of toe stubbing. So all the fundamentals of magic are meditation, breathwork, <laughs> cleansing, protection, specifically fingers and toes. <laughs> Specifically, fingers and toes. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're minor mistakes. They're things that are recoverable from, you know. Yeah. They're things you can come back from and learn from, and you know, learn not to walk into the coffee table or move it. <laughs> Sometimes that's the better thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, maybe you're not in a room full of people that it turns out you like. Maybe you picked the wrong label because you didn't know. Yeah. I mean, none of us do when we start. It's very hard to answer that what are you question 30 days in. Mm, not even you are. Bloody 25, right. 30 years later. <sighs> Definitely. Mm. But, you know, when you're new and you're still excited, you don't know enough to know you don't know enough. Mm. Straight up. And, and you probably don't know enough to discern how people are using the same label in different ways. No. No. All right. I think that brings us to the end of today, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, we have we've talked through several things, mm-hmm. projected a couple of things to talk about. <laughs> well you got everybody got three for one today. So that was good. Yeah. Uh, bonus. Mm. All right then. So we will see you next week with a different something, topic, book talk, whatever it is. I don't know. We don't know. We have no idea. Um, and if you have not checked out the link out in the description, please do so. You can check out our website. Uh, there is a donate page there if you would like to support us. And otherwise, um, go to the Wildwood Temple on Discord or the Facebook group and you can join the chat and the community there. And maybe make some friends. And maybe make some friends. We have a wonderful <laughs> community. We really do. I mean, I've seen other communities that are just awful. Um, you know, they they are moderated, but people come on and they just start attacking or something. We don't have that in ours. So uh, we have a great. So keep it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a great great group of people. Good bouncers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. And bye. Bye. 
thank you for joining us in the Wildwood. Meet us again next week for another episode. And don't forget to check out our website at intothewildwood.com. That's Wildwood with a Y. And if you would like to support us, you can leave a donation on the website.